Word. Open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And what a joy we have as believers to thank God that Jesus Christ absorbed the Father's wrath for us. He did not just deflect it for a later time. It's gone. It's not like we have to stand in judgment and receive His wrath at a later date. Jesus Christ fully absorbed the wrath of God and it is offered to us as a gift of grace. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's actually a difficult verse. Because we have, we have difficulty maintaining that attitude, like Sean said, because there is evil in the world. There's a lot not worth rejoicing over or to give thanks for. Three all-inclusive words, always, without ceasing, and all. And sometimes we reason it would be easier if it said sometimes, often, and most, right? We'd love that sort of loophole to be able to say, I'm thankful for 98% of the things that have come down upon me. In this chapter, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he is changing from attitudes and actions towards others And he's shifting now to attitudes and actions towards God. And it doesn't mean just the external act of rejoicing, but an attitude of rejoicing because of what we know is true about God. By the way, these three closely connected imperatives, rejoice, pray, and give thanks, spell out what God's will is for you. A lot of times we ask that. What is God's will for my life? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. With regard to giving thanks, though, there's a little word that we often misunderstand. And I'll explain it this way. I have had a a long-term difficulty being thankful for some things that have entered our family's life. But look at the word again. This is what God's will in Christ Jesus is for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. What's the next word? In, not for, because it would seem unjust to give thanks for the evil that's in the world, wouldn't it? Matter of fact, Tim Zacharias said this in a book, in his, in his new book called Secret Doubts. There is no doubt that God allowed evil, but he did not originate it personally as being a direct result of his own actions. It commenced in the heart of Satan and the heart of man. God did not create evil, but he did create the conditions that allowed it to exist. We don't have to give thanks for the conditions or for the action done against us, but we can give thanks in it because of what we believe to be true about God. What is a circumstance? If we just look at that word. It is a fact or condition Connected with or relevant to an event or action. You're in a circumstance right now. How often on a Sunday did you say, uh, let's go to Chick-fil-A for lunch afterwards? But you were within a circumstance. What was the circumstance? It's Sunday. Guess who's not open on Sunday? Chick-fil-A. Okay, that's a circumstance. What happens when the circumstance then is one of evil? Well, in all circumstances, we can give thanks because we trust God's character as being wise, good, all-powerful, and just. 
in all circumstances because we have hope in an eternal life where there is no more crying and no more separation and no more death. See, sometimes we approach Thanksgiving with mixed emotions, right? This, you know, we all stand at a meal, but what if there's fractured family relationships? Or what if we're painfully reminded again that somebody's not at the table for the feast? Or what if another year has lapsed and the very thing we have been praying and pleading for a year ago, we still haven't seen God provide or answer? And He's doing it for everyone else around us, so it's, it's very difficult to move into this week and be thankful for all things. But aren't you relieved to see it says, in your circumstances, give thanks? In all circumstances, because they are temporary. In all circumstances, because we as pilgrims and strangers, as the Hebrews 11.16 says, desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Turn back to Genesis chapter 50. And we're going we're gonna to make eight points in four minutes. And I've just made a lot of unbelievers here. <laughs> it's okay not to believe in some things, if it's, right? If it's, if, it's, if it's a promise that can't be kept. People connect with people. We've looked at the life of Joseph before, so we're not going to read a lot of the narrative. But I am going to point you, as we move into this Thanksgiving week, to eight principles out of the life of Joseph that give hope. The last verse of Genesis says this, quote, so Joseph died, Genesis 50, verse 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him. Why? Because he's where? He's in Egypt. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And we, and we, and we think death, not life, cough, a coffin, not a paradise, North Africa, not even, not even the promised land. And Joseph's death sets the stage for what? Slavery? Oppression? Hardship, but keep reading, keep living out the moments of life, keep trusting God, because notice what's next. As you flip one verse, signs and wonders in Exodus, the Passover, the Exodus, the deliverance out. If you go back to Genesis 37, this is 14 chapters covering the life of Joseph. In the, the first lesson when you are introduced to Joseph is this. God is at work in the details of life. God is at work. I mean, I'm looking out at faces, and, and if I stop and pause, right? I'm trying not to make long eye contact here. If I stop and pause, you have a story. And interwoven into your story is pain and difficulty and disappointment, along with great evidences of God's grace. But God is at work in the details, and I want you to feel this personally. He's at work in the details of your life. Look at Genesis 37, verse 2. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. And it says this, he was a boy. In verse 2, he brings a bad report to the father. Why does that matter? It matters because, look at verse 3, Israel, who is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Jacob chose favoritism. Israel shows parental favoritism. And yet here's the good news. We can give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because our sovereign God is not bound by parental favoritism or parental failure or absentee dads or a harsh mom. But we can still give thanks in all circumstances because a sovereign God 
an all-powerful and good and loving God is in control of the details of your life. Lesson two, look at verse 18 of, verse of chapter 37. They conspired against him to kill him. That's called fratricide, when a brother goes to kill a brother. Every detail is under God's sovereign control. And it's here that we are tempted to doubt and question God's sovereignty and move into sort of this area, this, this dark fog of an area that leads, kind of like John Bunyan explained uh, in his Pilgrim's Progress, into giant despair's castle. And when you read John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, it seems like he's taking forever describing doubting castle and giant despair. And the reason is, in sort of poetic form, you're supposed to feel locked into that part of the story. Every detail is under God's sovereign control. That is why Paul asks in Romans 11, verse 34, Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or I, I don't get to sit at the table with God and, and give Him permission to allow evil to enter into our life or disappointment or discouragement or depression. But I can respond by giving thanks in all those circumstances, which that attitude of rejoicing and prayerful dependence and giving thanks sort of is the key that unlocks giant despair's castle. Here's the third lesson. Of course, you know, he was sold, right? He had a brother intervene. He's pulled out of the pit. He's sold to Midianite, Midianite tra traders and he ends up in Egypt Transitions, unexpected moves, abrupt turns, and life changes are all part of God's leading in our necessary journey to know Him better. He's going to make sure, folks, that, that He designs our circumstances so that we continue to depend on Him. Some of the details in Joseph's life up to this point, sibling rivalry, parental favoritism, jealousy, hatred, lies, major transitions. Does that sound familiar? Is your life marked by any of those? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Lesson four, God's plan is bigger than our failures. All I have to do is read that one and assure you that it's true. Matter of fact, in, in Genesis 30, 38, it's kind of like we're taking a detour and this is what's happening back home, right? All, all this narrative is about Joseph in Egypt, but we go back home and there's this horrible shipwreck between Judah. It's a sordid story if you read it. And yet when you get done reading that, you should cast your glance to Revelation 5.5 where one of the elders said to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of... Seriously? Judah? Have you read Genesis 38? Do you know what? God's plan is bigger than our failures. These are not just moralistic lessons pulled out of the story of Joseph. These are lessons of hope as we move in this redemptive story towards Christ who was hated by his brothers, who was lied about, who was killed, but then who rose again and, and, and saving us from greater than even a famine that struck that land. Lesson five, God keeps his promises and it looks like I have not kept mine. 
the cupbearer and the baker. By the way, guess where they get thrown into prison? Right where Joseph is. Coincidence? I think so. God coincided these events, but he's forgotten. God still is at work in the details of life. And God keeps his promises. It says, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The narrative, I love this, after two whole years, he's been in prison for two more years, seemingly forgotten. But you know what? God was unfolding his plan in the life of Joseph in redemptive history, even within those two years. Then the cupbearer remembers there was a young Hebrew with us. And he, everything he said came to pass, and I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. So Pharaoh called and sent for Joseph. Here's the full circle of divine design. Guess, guess how old Joseph is now? He's 30. Remember where the story started? He's, he was 17. It'll be another 13 years, or another nine years before the famine actually takes place. And in all this, we see God's amazing details, circumstances. Not, not a lot of them are good. But from within those, we can give thanks. Lesson seven, God is still in control and caring. Even when we feel forgotten and in a real circumstantial prison. Don't miss the meaning that he gives to two of his son's names. Manasseh, we're familiar with the name. Here's what it means. God has made me forget all my hardship. And Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do you know God intends fruitfulness to come from your difficulties and disappointments and hardships? The very thing we try to get out and be delivered from is the actual tool God is using to bring forth fruitfulness. And finally, lesson eight, a sovereign God intends good, even when it doesn't feel good. This truth helps us give thanks in all circumstances. Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. He's talking to his brothers. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And we, when we can give thanks in all circumstances, then we can respond kindly. Listen to how Joseph responds to his brothers. The very next verse, verse 21, last chapter of Genesis. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. There's an odd statement in Hebrews 11. I'm going to close with this verse. Hebrews 11:21 says this. By faith, and that's it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Therefore, we can give thanks in all circumstances. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus. How did he know that was going to happen? And gave directions concerning his bones. Remember, where's Joseph? He's in Egypt. But he believes in the redemptive promises of God that he's going to provide an exodus, a deliverance, a going out for the next generation. And he believes it so strongly, he gives them instructions to bury his bones in the promised land. First Thessalonians five sixteen to 18. I'll invite the music team forward. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
You know, we too have a hope similar to Joseph's. But our hope is a confidence that Jesus will deliver us an exodus and take us out to be with him in heaven. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus. I've told you that I need to go away. I go away to, re- to prepare a place for you. And I will come again and take you to be where I am. That is a great promise from our good shepherd.